0: Father, we want to thank you again today. We want to thank you for your loving kindness and how you continue to look out after us, Lord. But Father, when we consider this series that we have been walking through, we realize, Lord God, that there are uh, things that we are faced with, that we are frankly ill-equipped to deal with. Sometimes we think we are until the pressure is on, and then when the pressure is on, we realize that we still fall short. So we thank you for your love, we thank you for your unmerited favor, and all the things that you have uh, already accomplished in our life, Lord God. So uh, we have an expectant attitude, Lord God. We ask you, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would rain down in this place today, Lord, uh, allowing your word to... Uh, jump off the pages, allowing your word, Lord God, to speak directly to our hearts, Lord. Because even with our best efforts, Lord God, we uh, still manage to fall short. So we thank you for your loving kindness. Even as we ask you, Lord God, uh, even in hearing your word, that you would uh, hear our confession of sin before you today, Lord God. Forgive us, Lord. But then speak to us. And do a work in us, Lord God, that uh, have us to be so changed, Lord God, that even when we walk out of this place today, we would be very different from the way that we came into this place, Lord. So, Father, we submit ourselves to you and the work of the Holy Spirit. And we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. After Peter had finished worshiping the Lord, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God, a worthy is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. After Peter had finished worshiping the Lord for his mercy and grace of salvation through Jesus Christ, here in verse 13, he now readies us for action. But look at verses 10 through 12. In verses 10 through 12, the prophets and angels, they could only sit by and wonder what God would do for believers in the future. So they would have God's word and not fully understand what they were saying or what it all meant. Isn't that awesome? You're saying these awesome words. You don't clearly understand what they all mean or their impact. But yet, you speak them with conviction, amen? And you speak them knowing that they come from the heart of God. So they knew the Lord was up to something. And they even proclaimed it to many generations. But again, they couldn't figure out uh, who it referred to. Have you ever talked confidently about something, but really didn't know what you're talking about? You've said that to other people. You're over there talking, about you don't even know what you're talking about. So Just shut up. But this was not true for the prophets, that when they spoke, they spoke with authority, because it came from the throne of heaven. And this was the plight of the prophets, and even as the angels looked on wondering what was going on, did you realize that as people are being saved, that angels are looking all around wondering what's going on? Today you have it. The Spirit is in you. The strength of the Lord directs and guides you. It has entered into your life through the all-sufficiency of the atonement of Jesus Christ. But, what good is knowledge? What good is the knowledge of salvation if it cannot be made available for the everyday practices of life? So, in other words, I have this salvation... What do I do with it now? Just wait until I die and until I go to heaven? Everyday life is the place where we work and relate all the time. It is that place we experience the struggles and problems that threaten our testimony and test our resolve of holding on to God's hand when there are only counterfeit hands around to grasp. That attempt to lead us down the cul de sac of darkness. The last time we spent time hearing about how we should worship the Lord because of His salvation in Jesus Christ for us. And this is good. And we rejoice for that. And that was a time of rejoicing and worship for us. And we thank God for His loving kindness. But today, we walk further down the road to see how we can respond to the gracious salvation in the experience of everyday routine with our minds and our actions. Please, turn with me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Peter says, Therefore, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded uh, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, uh, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, so so Paul said, uh, so Peter says, uh, set your hope full, uh, fully on God's grace. And the key here is the grace of God. I know the main focus appears to be, as we read the passage there in verse 13, he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. It seems like that is the main focus as we go forward. And they are a primary concern of ours, but they are not the main focus. And you can better understand this by first, again, reading the passage the way it's found in Scripture. First, uh, reading it together, uh, again, therefore, it says, what? Uh, Preparing your minds for actions, and what? Being. Uh, that, That sounds incomplete, however. It's like something is missing. And something is missing because those phrases are dependent on something else that needs to be said. Now, uh, we're going to read the same phrase in a different way and it will make a lot of sense. This time we're going to read the same phrase, but we're going to remove preparing your minds for action and we're going to remove and being sober-minded. But we're going to start with therefore. This way... The passage now we reach how? It says, therefore, and then we're going to go to set, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Right? It says more, but we'll end there. Uh, therefore, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. That makes sense. That is a full phrase. We get that. Now, this is clearer. So a prepared and a clear mind is focused on what? God's what? Grace. Uh, try it again. Uh, so a prepared and a clear mind is focused on the grace of God. That's where our hope is anchored. Recall that uh, the believers had been exiled and that they were in a really tough place due uh, to their faith uh, they were persecuted they were run out of town you know uh, even today you can go to certain parts uh, of this city uh, that you live in in this general area that you live in you can go to certain parts and you start talking about the Word of God do you realize that some people can try to run you out of their neighborhood you, you go talk to this we're not talking about over there we're not talking about 2000 years ago we're talking about today in the city, uh, at least in the area where you live at, that you can go to certain places and start talking this, and they will run you out. But the struggles that uh, the believers had of the uh, dispersion, as we heard there in verse 1, that it was tough for them. Some Christians, over time, have been killed for their faith. But nevertheless, their struggle, in some sense, is, is really no different from the struggles that threaten your faith. those struggles, those tough times, when it squeezes you to the very core of your belief. And when that happens, you decide whether or not to remain faithful. Or to derail your life because you're so disappointed uh, at, at the card uh, of life that has been dealt to you. Uh, you know, I have been led to believe, some have told me, that uh, if I have a victorious mindset, that if I had a true faith, that nothing bad will ever happen to me. Man, I've heard it. I've heard it time and time again. Uh, And and I've shared with you at other times as well how how people have come uh, to be counseled from me and they were having issues or struggles in their faith and I told them, you believe God. You may not be healed but you continue to have a faith in God. And they told me that I may not be healed. I said, you may not be healed. I don't know what God's plan is. And then they said, isn't God's plan for all of us to be healed? I said, well, let's think about that. If everybody was always healed, no one would ever die. And they got so upset with me, they became so upset that they left the church. (laughs) That was about 15 years ago. Today, they're singing a different tune. Because now, the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God, has caught up with the reality of life. You see, the Word of God never changes. God's Word will not change. It is immutable. The thing that changes is us. We are the ones that change. So therefore, our faith must be rock solid. So again, the faith and the struggles, that those of the dispersion that, that Peter were writing about, it really isn't much different from those things that threaten your faith. When you become ill, when it squeezes you, you're deciding, do I remain in the faith, or do I turn my back on God? How do we then set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us? This is how we do it. This is how we set our mind on this hope. By preparing our minds for action. Preparing your minds for action. Prepare my mind for action. Decide ahead of time how you're going to respond in the faith. Know who Jesus Christ is ahead of time. The original language says here, it says, Gird up the loins of your minds. Gird up the loins of your mind. Uh, What this basically means is, is that in the ancient time, here I go with my, uh, my cloth, right? You've seen it used several times before in different ways. Well, today we're using it in a different way as well. Uh, in ancient times, you can imagine that uh, the men, they didn't wear pants like men wear today. Women as well, that they wore robes. And oftentimes those robes, they went down below the knees. So if they had to run for whatever reason, uh, before it was time to run, that one of the things that they had to do if their garment was flowing below, they had to take their ga- garment and then they had to hike it up this way, grab their belt, and you imagine it's going back this way, take it this way, hike it up between the legs, and then they would take it and tie it this way. Don't some of you ladies have clothes like that? Seem like I'm just remembering this for some strange reason. Right, you hike the clothes up there and then you, t- like, a, like a diaper, a baby's diaper, right? You hike it up, and then you tie it this way, and then you start to run. Some of you uh, uh, people recall that when you were kids, that one of the things that you would do when you would be in a race, if you really wanted to run fast, uh, that you didn't have long, flowing clothes, that one of the things that you would do would be what? You would take off your shoes. If you really wanted to run fast and beat your opponent, you would take your shoes off because you know you can run unhindered. Or some of you ladies, uh, some of you really bad ladies, uh, we'll we'll call you that. You remember those times when it was time for you to have a fight, that you would not only uh, take your good shoes off, but you would put on your gym shoes, right? And then you'd be so mad. The next thing you do, you take your earrings off, right? You snatch your earrings off. And some of you today, you probably have to take off your fingernails too, right? Right? Because you don't want them flicking all over the place, right? some of you have to take your fingernails off. And then you're ready to get involved. But here, uh, what this is saying is that gird up the loins of your mind. Uh, What Peter is saying is that you need to prepare your mind for what's coming down the road. Prepare your mind. Gird up the loins of your minds. Because there's some activity, spiritual activity that you need to be prepared for that otherwise you're not ready for. So prepare your thought process for what is ahead by setting it your mind on the grace of God. And what is God's grace? God's grace is his unmerited what? Favor. Uh, God's grace is his what? His unmerited favor. Uh, You didn't deserve it. regardless of how good that you think you are or were. Some people, I've heard testimony in some churches, uh, some people say, well, God saved me because he knew uh, that uh, I'm a good person. Well, no, God didn't save you because of that. God saved you because he loved you. But too many of us get sidetracked by small and insignificant things that really don't matter to our progress. They don't matter to our sanctification or God's call on our life at the end of the day. You can fight every battle to the point of exhaustion but still lose the war. We never focus on the hope of the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ with all these other things in the way because all these other things in the way are distraction. For you, the tiniest things throws off your entire day. One bad thing in your entire day is shot. You lose focus, forgetting your purpose. You forget that God has called you to greater things. So the idea of a prepared end. A sober mind is not new to what we believe or read in Scripture. Because the other apostles have also said the same thing, but in different ways. You're familiar with this one, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans 12, verse 2. Now, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What happens in our mind determines the outcome of our actions. What happens in our minds determines, I shouldn't say the out, outcome, uh, but what happens in our minds determine our actions. That conversation that you have with yourself before you go off on the deep end is crucial. Right? You know you're ready to go off. You know you're ready to say some things uh, that you have no business saying and you're having this conversation with yourself but you say them anyway or you do them anyway. Who wins? The spirit of God or the spirit of your flesh? This is why Jesus says sinfulness first appears in the mind which loses the battle between what is right and what is wrong. Matthew chapter 5 verse 27. Matthew 5 verse 27. Jesus says here, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. Verse uh, 28. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So let's see if I get this right, preacher man. Jesus says that if I have lost in my mind for a person that I have already committed adultery, and I've, is, is that what Jesus is saying? Because I have thoughts like that here and there. Some of you all the time. What is Jesus saying? Well, what Jesus is saying is this. When the thought happens in your mind, whether it's adultery, or whether it's murder, or whether it's theft that that thought itself contained inside your head is not sin. It's not profitable, but it is not sin. But when that thought produces fruit, and you end up doing what you're thinking, then the thought that you had is therefore sinful. You hear what I'm saying? Because, come on... Y'all got to get real with me now. Y'all know how y'all be thinking. So don't sit up here and tell me you're more holier than I am. Getting mad at people, talking about you wish you can kill them. Some people, they, oh, they make me so mad I can just take them and just... Right? See, it's, it's the action, uh, not the thought. For the thought, God wants to deal with that as well. Can you say amen? God wants to deal with the thought as well. But if that thought produces sinful actions, then the thought was sin. You got it? So you don't have to worry about, uh, well, uh, you know, so to make sure I don't go, uh, go to hell, I need to go ahead and cut off my hand, or my arm, or my foot, or things like that. See, what Jesus is saying is that if that thought causes you to walk or ca- causes you to grab something you have no business grabbing, then it is better that you go ahead and just eliminate it altogether because eliminate it altogether will prevent you from following through with the action of sin. That's what Jesus is saying. So this idea of being conformed to this world and all the things around us, uh, that uh, uh, it can be very condemning. Face it again, you're gonna think and talk about things uh, you shouldn't be talking about it, that you have no business thinking about. But yet, when you put hands and feet to it, then there's the action that's involved. So what happens with that thought? This is the key. This is the key. So again, here in, in verse 13, verse 13 also tells us to be sober-minded. Sober-minded. The idea here is not to be drunk, because you constantly make decisions that affect your spiritual well-being and maybe others. But I hear some of you saying that, well, I don't drink, or I don't drink anymore, right? Therefore, being drunk does not impact me. So this is one thing, preacher man, that uh, I'm scot-free about. You ain't talking about me, finally. I'm off the hook. But what the Apostle Peter meant is this. He calls us not to be influenced by external circumstances, people and things, which will cause us to operate with the wisdom of a drunk man or a drunk woman. Some of you are wise. Some of you are smart some of you when you get around your friends you become dumb you become punch drunk some of you if you look at the wrong youtube videos next thing you know you think in the same way you get on facebook or instagram all of a sudden your mind is being changed all of a sudden every single man is a dog Uh uh-huh come on or Ladies, you ain't off the hook either. Every single woman is whatever she is. Can't say it, right? Right? Because you're, you're, you're around people that begin thinking things, or every single Republican is this, or every single Democrat is this, because uh, you are being influenced by uh, the flap of the gums of the nonsense. That's constantly around you. So your decisions are that of a drunk man or a drunk woman. You are under the influence. Amen. There are some circumstances that occur in life that are so devastating, are so wrong and hurtful. That they can also cause you to act like you're drunk. We try to walk the straight line, but we swerve. Sometimes someone has hurt us. And we want to say and do the right things, but we stagger, stagger into the wrong decision. We act like we're not a Christian, we're drunk. Or you may even experience illness that calls you to wonder about God, you're inebriated, can't hold yourself up, because your external circumstances is causing you to act like you're spiritually drunk. Can't touch our noses with our fingers, because we're under the influence. We fail God's breathalyzer test because we have been drinking the nonsense of an unbeliever's godless talk and seeds of despair. And the result is that we end up just like them. We end up drinking the elixir of secular thinking and godlessness to the detriment of our soul and to the damaging of our relationships. You know, it's hard for a drunk person to determine they're drunk. Sometimes a drunk person, you ask them, are you drunk? They say, no, but I would like another drink. But for the person who is sober, you can spot a drunk person a mile away. You can probably smell them first. Are you R-U-L-U-I. Are you LUI, living under the influence? The person defers solely to their instinct instead of God's word, they may be LUI. When God's word takes a back seat to what a person really wants to do, then they are LUI, living under the influence. When a believer begins making excuses about why they don't have to attend church, you know they are drunk with the lies of self-interest. L-U-I. Living under the influence they are spiritually inebriated by the nonsense and the environment which runs contrary to God. Let's face it when we are preoccupied with so many things in life uh, that promise to give us the world but it gives us hell instead it makes it difficult for us to believe makes it difficult for us to understand and lean on the Lord when times get rough but we must lean on the Lord and not to our own understanding so get your minds brothers and sisters clear and mature. This week, uh, I heard that uh, some mental health professionals have now categorized that addiction to video games that it is now a mental illness. So think about your kids for a hot second. I've been saying for a long time, for a very long time. That parents must limit their child's exposure to video games. Uh, when, When my kids were younger, we had video games in our house. On, starting on Friday evening until Sunday. Then I would unplug the games. And then I would lock them away Monday through Friday. So let me tell you this story, right? One day I come home. I think we, I'm not sure if we we're in Dallas or where we were. One day I come home, and video games are plugged up. I'm like, "Huh, okay." I didn't rant and rave. I was nice and calm. And I went to my toolbox, and I got my wire cutters, and I went to the television, and I cut the plug on the television. Yes, I did. When I do things like this, my wife always wondered if I finally lost it, right? So I cut the plug on the television and then I told my kids, play your video game as long as you want to. I did, I said, play as long as you want to. There ain't no TV, but play it as long as you need to play it. Go ahead. He said, that's kind of radical, kind of like over the top, but you know, sometimes, Uh, Sometimes a man has to do what a man has to do. Amen? So don't be mad at me. Or think I'm crazy because I'm not. You've known me longer than that. So anyway, uh, you become intoxicated uh, with these video games uh, because at the end of the day, you just want more and more stimulation. If it keeps you up late at night, you are intoxicated. If you can't go to sleep, or you need to get up early to get on the game, U R L U R I L U R I right? L-U-I, living under the influence. Some of you say, well, video game's not my thing. What about Facebook? Instagram or crazy texting? You might be living under the influence of those things as well. Well... You don't think you are? Well, try to unplug for two weeks and see how you feel. Totally for two weeks. Totally. And if you start getting the shakes, right, and you start looking around like this and and your family got to strap you down, then you're probably intoxicated. The grace of God has been given to you by accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Salvation is not deserved and neither is God's grace to deliver us from uh, the struggle and persecution that we have regardless of our achievements as a Christian. So we receive God's grace we go through trouble and we figure if I do well then God will give me the grace to get out of the struggle. No, 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 no. The things that you do will not uh, look good in the eyes of God because again we walk by faith and it is not the issue concerning about what we do but God's love, His kindness and His grace towards us. Even when you have been faithful through pain and suffering, brothers and sisters. You've done everything you're supposed to do in the past. It does not mean that you are a shoe in for God's gracious deliverance today. That is not the determining factor. So, you have received the wonderful gift of Jesus Christ, Why are you still living like you're drunk? may not be clear to you, but it's clear to everybody else around you that you are drunk. And you keep saying, nothing wrong with me, nothing wrong with me, but everybody else around you know that you're drunk. They know that you've been drinking. Next. Refuse to let your former life without Christ dictate your present reality in Him. Refuse to let your former life without Christ dictate your present reality in Him. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You know, it's real easy to do anything that requires no thought. It's really easy not to go to school when you know that you should be in school. It's really easy not to paint your house when you know that if you continue not painting it, it's going to fall apart. It requires no thought to get high with your old friends who say Christianity is for weak people. Requires no thought to defer to people who base your faith on what they see in others who say they are believers but they treat people badly. Falling back to your former way of living is easy because it's comfortable. Because that's the way you were born. It is much like the baby who insists they continue drinking their milk out of a bottle. Both you and I know that if a child, uh, if they ever are to grow up, that one of the first things they need to do, they need to to get rid of the bottle. So if you are indeed obedient and love the Lord, you must not be conformed to the life you once lived. Why do we continue to go backwards when going backwards always brings us the same thing, the same pain, the same struggles? Because that's all I have. Oh, I really get to depend upon. I feel comfortable in my pain. You feel comfortable in your pain? You know, some people do. But that pain is not what God had intended for you or I. God wants to deliver you from that. So do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And we oftentimes say that I'm not going to let anybody run my life. Nobody is going to tell me what to do. I'm grown. I heard someone uh, say this uh, this past week, as a matter of fact. And one of the things that this lady said was, you know, when I finally made it, she may be 60 or something like that. She said, when I finally made it into my 50s, I finally realized I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm not going to let anybody run my life. But the truth remains that we often let the passions of our former ignorance run our lives without placing it into check. Remember the child, uh, children that play with Play-Doh and how they take the whatever substance that is and they'll take it and they put it in a mold and they force it into the mold and then they take the mold off and then that substance looks exactly like that mold. My mother, she used to uh, she used to make a lot of jello o molds <laughs> in, in her kitchen uh, uh, above the sink area and the little whatever it's called around the sink in the cabinet area. She used to have all these molds, uh, mold pans hanging up there. I'm like, why you got all that stuff? I used to ask my, my mother, she'd tell me, shut up. I'm like, why you got all these things hanging up there? I used to think it was for artwork. Until one day she was cooking and she took it down <clears throat> and uh, there was a fish up there. There was something that looked like a bunt cake, whatever it was. And she put the liquid in there and then she put the fruit in there. I love the fruit. I would uh, oftentimes take her mold and I would uh, take, the, take the fruit out. I would eat the fruit out and leave the rest of that stuff in there. I love the fruit and the nuts and all the other stuff. I leave, leave the jello in there. And, uh, but then I discovered that, uh, that when you take the mold off, of it, how it looks exactly, exactly like uh, what you had placed it in. You see, what's happening is, is that the world wants to mold you into its image. The world wants us, not just you, but me as well. The world wants us to look exactly like it. So, when persecution comes, when illness comes, anything comes that shakes your faith, you know what's happening? The world is saying, come back. The world is saying, God is not faithful. The world says, look like us. When you give up and say, I've had enough, that this faith, it means nothing, uh, that mold of the world, it grabs you and it forces you, it forces us into it until we're finally conformed into his image, until we are now looking like the world. How many people do you know that say, I used to go to church? They have been forced into the mold of the world. How many people that you know that says that, I don't believe any of that Bible stuff. They have been forced, they have been conformed into uh, the mold of the world. Now they're looking, walking, and talking just like everyone else who is contrary and opposed to God. you are made in the image of god but now we are all if you are in christ you are a new creation in christ jesus come on you got to look at this second corinthians 5 17. second corinthians 5 17. and i'm reading now therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old has passed away Behold, the new has come. And again, persecution and struggle, ungodly desire and pain, tempts to conform us again to the behavior that we had prior to our salvation. The more you sin, the more you say, what's the use? But this time, you can't plead ignorance. How do we do this? By living a life separated to God. Verse 15 But as he who called you is holy This is 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 15 But as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written you shall be holy for I am holy. You know, being holy seems to be out of fashion in the church today. We're encouraged to be a lot of things in church. We're called to be loving. We're called to be the church. We're called to be compassionate and kind and good and knowledgeable and other biblical concepts that we're called to live by. But one thing that has gone missing in action is being holy. I wonder if it's because many people have realized that being holy is too much for them to attain. Years past, uh, being holy was one of the signs that you were a Christian. You knew that you're a Christian because all the ladies wore dresses. You know you're a Christian because you didn't go to the movies, supposedly. Amen? But then we realize that there's some people who are wearing dresses who wore pants Monday through Saturday. Then we realized that some people were sneaking into the movies. They weren't as holy as we thought they were. Recently I heard uh, so this past week someone said that I'm not a Christian because I'm a Baptist. Are you a Christian? Are you holy to God? This is why the emphasis in our walk in faith, it is not connected to our denomination. Rarely do you even hear me talk about denominational things. Why? Because it's important that we place our mind and our heart in God himself. Amen? So this is a call for you and I to be holy as God is holy. And it is impossible without the work of the Spirit. Try as you may without the Spirit, and you will come up short every single time. Also, being holy is not in works of the flesh, but in submission of your heart, my heart to the Lord. So the distinction is, is that, yeah, we are to be holy, we are to live a righteous life, but that that is in response to God's goodness, amen? It's not because we want God to give us something. It's because it is a response that God has saved me, therefore I need to walk in the holiness that God has already imparted into my life. The children of Israel were constantly called to holiness, and when they were not, they needed to immediately confess. They were designated holy because they were supposed to be different from the nations they encountered that surrounded them every step of the way. Look at this, Leviticus 18, 24 and 25. God says to the Israelites, Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And look at this. And the land became unclean. You see that? See that? See that now? It says... The land became unclean because they were unclean, right? And the land became unclean, so that I punish its iniquity. And the land vomited out its inhabitants. So they were so wicked that the very land that they called them their, their own vomited them out. And as a matter of fact, this also was a warning to the Israelites, saying that if you act the same way, the land is going to vomit you out as well. And eventually it did happen. God told them they needed to be holy and not like the people he vomited out of the land because their form of holiness was repulsive to him. What about your idea of holiness? What about your holiness? It is important in all we say and do to remain faithful to the Lord. Mind you, it's difficult because we are surrounded by people who don't care, who disregard the truth and the mandate of Scripture concerning holiness. They could care less, but your holiness is, is extremely important to God. It is true that actions don't determine our position with Christ, Yet our actions point to whether or not we have heard his call to obedience and live as examples to the rest of the world. So for the person that says that my actions don't determine if I'm a Christian, well, this is true, but your actions are a reflection of whether you are a Christian or not. So those who are lying all the time saying I'm a Christian... Uh, that in your mind, the first thing you need to say to yourself is, they're probably not Christians if they're lying all the time. See? But as believers, we need to be clear-headed. We need to be prepared for the challenges ahead, because they are real and persistent. So we respond to our salvation, Peter says, with our mind and holy conduct, with fear, remembering what God has done for us through his grace. We must have a prepared and a clear mind fully set on the hope of the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Worship team. Father, we want to thank you so much.